This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. I think it's fair to say that things have been a bit quiet on the Everton front recently, but we've got a fair bit of news to talk about now that it's been building up over the past week or so. I'm Adam Jones and I'm joined today by Dave Prentice and Sam Carroll. And uh, Dave, we're going to kick off today by talking about a bit of breaking Everton news. Uh, they've just announced two new pre-season friendlies. Yeah, we're up to the heady heights of five pre-season friendlies now. No, I mean, I, I wrote a piece at the weekend which I kind of hoped might uh, evoke a response from Everton. Just pointing out that, you know, given the fact that we're nearly at the end of June, the players are back in training on Monday and we still only had three pre-season fixtures scheduled. Um, looking at Wolves, who we play on the opening day, they had six fixtures in the bag. You look across the park, you know, Liverpool have got nine lined up. So I just thought that three was, you know, in danger of sending the players into the start of the season underprepared. I know last summer they only had four pre-season friendlies, but that was a different summer because obviously the Europa League dates were so early. So there were two competitive fixtures sandwiched in amongst that campaign, one in July, one in early August. So I think there was always the plan uh, to schedule a couple more in the fixture list. I think they just wanted to sit down with Marco Silva, Marcel Brands, and find out exactly what suited them. And clearly Marco Silva's had some input in this because Everton are going to Portugal um, where they're going to play one of those curious tournaments very similar to the Dresden Cup a couple of years ago where they play one match on a Saturday night and one match on a Sunday night. So I think obviously we'll see two different teams uh, lined up for each game. But good opposition, uh, Lille in the first game and Porto in the second. And given the fact that there's a couple of local games, you know, uh, Berry and Blackburn either side of that and then Valencia uh, to wrap up the campaign, it's looking like a better pre-season now. I think there might still be one more. I think there's plans to uh, go abroad for a training camp and there might be a fixture involved in that as well. But, you know, certainly it's looking healthier now, more robust. And, you know, those two fixtures look quite decent. Mm. I have to say, the Algarve Cup sounds a bit like something that you get in a pre-season on your FIFA career mode. <laughs> it, does, I mean, it? It, it, it doesn't sound like a real tournament, but there it is. Silverware uh, before the season starts. No. <laughs> so, obviously, Everton have got Lille and Porto, two pretty decent sides to face. Do you think opposition in pre-season is... A bit of a factor. No, not really. I think uh, I remember the, the season when we ended up finishing fourth somehow. I remember when you're quite little and you don't really know what's going on. I remember we got beat by crew in that pre-season. Oh, I remember, God. funnily enough, reading in the Echo, and I remember saying to my mum, "Well, we're getting relegated this season <laughs> if we can't even beat League Two crew, Alexandra." So I wouldn't wouldn't read too much into it. I think in the last few years, of, you know, even when you look at the way, as Dave said, we. I think we, we drew against Sevilla, was it, when we wore that really nice one-off retro kit last That was lo- lovely, that kit. Lovely yeah. kit. Yeah. And obviously then we beat uh, Rosombroch and uh, we beat Hadjik and teams like that very early on in the season. So, you know, as Dave said, you'll, you'll see two different teams and uh, hopefully, I think it'll probably be interesting only to maybe see, I'd assume he'd pick one stronger team and maybe let the, yeah. the younger players have a run out maybe in the, in the Sunday game. So I think it'd be really interesting to see what kind of players he features and you know, surely around that time you'll start getting an indication of uh, how much of a role people like Dowell and Beningamy and, and people like that are going to have next yeah. season. I don't think it's so much the quality of opposition, although I do think that when Everton have played, you know, top-class opposition in pre-season, remember Juventus uh, that year over in Real America. Madrid as well. Exactly, year, yeah, right? you know, and Real Madrid. Yeah. I think that's got to help. You know, you're actually sharpening yourself up, you're pitting yourself against the very best, even though they're generally a couple of weeks behind you in, in your preparations. But I think... 
the trips themselves are what's vitally important. Um, a lot of the Everton players raved about that trip to America. They just loved, you know, the facilities and where they were, and the fact that they can they can bond. You, you're away from home, you can get away. You know, just get to know your teammates better. I know it's going to be a bit different this summer because there haven't been any new faces to add to it yet. Um, but you know, just that bonding experience, being away together. I think Australia was another one where the players, you know, really enjoyed it and just liked that you know atmosphere of being together and just focusing on getting fit and you know whatever systems and you know plans that Marco Silva will have because clearly he will want to you know instill a new way of playing fairly quickly. And so yeah, the preseason games could be quite significant this year. Mm, I think it's really interesting. Like you, you touched upon there, like play, players who maybe have got something to prove I think there's so much of the Everton squad that are going to have a lot to prove over pre-season because as we know there's going to be quite quite an extensive clear out over the course of this summer so you've got, you've got players I think one that sticks out to me is Nikola Vlasic like surely yeah, he's going to have something something to prove like as you said Kieran Dahl coming back from his loan period you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot of players there who need to grab this opportunity isn't there yeah it's hard to say about grabbing opportunities in pre-season friendlies, isn't it? But I think people like Vlasic and Luckman, you know, really should should they have something to prove? You know, I, th- I thought when they were called upon last season, they were they were decent in what they showed, and I think they got a bit of a a bit of a bum deal sometimes, just in the, in the way we were playing and the way they were used. And obviously, Luckman got sent out on loan. So yeah, I think the, the squad is so big, and I think we're a, a bit of frustration from the fan base. Obviously, starting to come now is. You know, nothing really has happened yet, has <laughs> it? You know, there was that quite surprising Funes Mori deal last week, which I know we're going to touch on later. But apart from that, there's not been much in terms of first team uh, outgoings or incomings. So, yeah, there's the the squad is still massive, isn't it? Something that Sam Allardyce yeah. spoke a lot about uh, last season. Probably one of the only things Evertonians agreed with him on during his entire time at Everton. Um, so. The, the squad that go that goes to that Algarve tournament probably won't be anywhere near the squad that we know right now. No, you can't actually read that much into pre-season performances. I mean, last summer, Kieran Dowell looked great, scored that wonderful goal in Tanzania, and then was immediately farmed out on loan. And I always remember Alex Niarko uh, arriving you know, in the summer. And we didn't know quite what to expect. Bit of an unknown quantity from French football, I think he was. And he looked magnificent pre-season. Scored a backheeled goal against Man City. Scored a couple of long ranges. And, you know, did look like, you know, an attacking, you know, Patrick Vieira, if you like, in the making. And his early season performances were okay. Scored away at Tottenham. Everton got beat 3-2, but he scored this, like, great goal. And then just, you know, disappeared without trace. Mm. So, yeah, you can be... You know, deceived sometimes by preseason performances. It's what you can produce over the course of an entire season. And you know, last season Kevin Morales, I remember, you know, scored an absolute great goal over in mm-hmm. Belgium, and we all know what he performed or produced or didn't once the season started. So it's a fitness exercise more than anything, rather than a form finding exercise. Mm-hmm. But scoring a few goals and getting a few victories under your belt with a bit of confidence can't do anybody any harm. I think what Silver's going to have on his side is that I remember last summer when we went to that Rosenborg game, and it was the first game where you know Everton have never spent on. Spent on that magnitude before, after so I remember getting there. Pickford was rested for that first game, but you had the likes of Classen, Rooney, it was Rooney's first competitive game back at Goodison. Uh, Michael Keane played, uh, and I think Sandro might have played, or Sandro came on as well. And there was this real kind of excitement, but there was that sense of uh, expectation, wasn't yeah, yeah. it, at the start of uh, last season? Whereas I think that's pretty much been wiped out of everyone hasn't it because last season to think Ronald Koeman was the Everton manager at the start of the last campaign 
just seems crazy, really, doesn't it? It seems like absolutely years ago mm. uh, with, with everything that happened, obviously with him, Unsworth, Allardyce, and the whole saga, even of this summer. So, yeah, I'd say that the, the thing I think Silver is going to get a bit of time on his on, on his side, isn't he? And, and and to kind of find out who he who he wants to have in his squad. But I think he'd get uh, a lot more fans on side early on if they seen the likes of Dowell, Vlasic, Luchman being handed. Proper opportunities and not just five minutes here and there. Given, given the minutes and, and and time to, as you're saying, get on the field in pre-season, but then to to do it when when the main event kicks off. Do you think he maybe needs to see some of the Everton squad in action before he can really go big on any sort of transfer targets? Um, you'd you'd, you'd imagine so. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's been earmarked for the manager's role for the last six months. You know, or it appears to be the case. And so you would think he's been spending that time watching Everton matches and scrutinising them on video. I would imagine, you know, he sat down with his backroom staff and gone through, you know, every fixture from last season just to get to know the players he's inherited. Funny enough, I went down to uh, Finch Farm a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with Phil Kirkbride, and we were like, you know, we were shown around like this new wing of the facility, which is very, very impressive. But a couple of Marco Silva's uh, new backroom staff uh, were in there watching videos of games. Phil was trying to like look over the shoulder to actually get, you know, to get some kind of insight into who they were watching. And it was a Leon match, but it wasn't Leon against Everson. It was obviously, you know, they were obviously looking at players, you know, so from other clubs. Uh, but yeah, they will also have spent their time watching games from last season. So he'll know pretty much everything about the players. It, it's character and personality that he won't know. And obviously you'll see that, you know, training with them on a daily basis and he'll get to know the kind of characters he's got in his squad and who he wants to take forward. And it, it's going to be quite interesting. Obviously, maybe not the quite excitement level or expectation level of last summer, but, you know, no less interesting for that. Mm. I think it's worth noting at this point that I did a piece the other day having a look at Everton's last 10 transfer, well, summer transfer windows to see whether it's maybe a bit uncommon for Everton to be moving this well, what's perceived to be slowly, yeah. really, and it's really not. I think Everton made 50-odd signings in summer transfer windows over the last 10 years, and only six of them had come up to this point, although two of them did come last year. I think Pickford and Klassen were already on board at this at this time last year, but as we know, it's departures as much as incomings, yeah. and one departure that's already happened, as you mentioned, Sam, is Romero Funes Mori. Do you think it was the right move? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, probably a little bit disappointed as as Phil revealed earlier on when Funes Money first left that we only managed to kind of get back what we'd pay for him because of, you know as a defender at his age, I think you you probably maybe could have made a case to to get a little bit more out of it. But he, he never he never truly convinced anyone, did he? I think there was a lot of times where he was swinging at balls with his right foot and and just kind of put putting us under pressure and. And on the other hand, then on on his day, he looked like a really good defender, and he, and he popped up with a few goals, didn't he? A few mm. uh, really good goals, actually. I remember the one against uh, Aston Villa, uh, Southampton. Nearly won us the game at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea that time. Mm. So, you know, when he was here, he, he was decent enough. But Everton have got to be aiming far higher than Ramiro Funes Mori. Yeah, I think what summed him up uh, for me was that last game of the season against West Ham. He just looked so uncomfortable as that third centre back. He yeah. just couldn't pick up Anatovic or even. Lanzini when he was making them cut and runs inside and obviously 
you were there that day, Preno. <laughs> Hooked off at half time. <laughs> well, it sums it up, yeah. To be honest, I saw him beautifully summed up in a tweet uh, from a fan last week who described him as a danger in both penalty areas. Uh, and it was, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was a threat in the opposition penalty area, uh, but he overplayed an awful lot. I quite liked him as a player when he first arrived. He looked pacey, he looked like he had ability on the ball. But he took chances, far too many chances. And, you know, he did. He left you with your heart in your throat sometimes when he was trying to overplay a little bit. And you just wonder, given an extended run in the Premier League, whether he could have settled down and become, you know, an imperious, commanding centre-half. I don't know. We'll never find that out now. Uh, but getting the money back on him, maybe it's a little bit disappointing. But, you know, the injury didn't help either. But it, it smacked an awful lot of like a number of those uh, centre-halves that we seem to have, you know, around the Martinez era, you know, your Elton and Alcarazes and the like, they were quite comfortable on the ball but couldn't defend the dinner. And, you know, so <laughs> he, he was a little bit like that. So now, got to look at something a little bit more robust, a little bit more secure. The next Phil Jagiel could have been nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one, one of the better, you know, one of the best central defensive signings we've made in recent years. Something else like that would be decent. I have to say, over the, like, over the time after Funes Mori was announced as leaving. Uh, I saw a few comments on social media saying they'd rather have seen Ashley Williams moved out the door first. Do you think this move in any way affects his future at the club? Oh, good question. Um, I think the big problem with Ashley Williams is the size of his salary. And, you know, he's around about the £75,000 a week mark, which is, is huge for a man of his age. Uh, and his experience so trying to find somebody willing to take a chunk of that on board is going to be very very difficult um, that might prevent him you know sort of moving on we don't know I mean if there's a few people from our, our colleagues from you know, the Wales online area South Wales would love to see him back at Swansea but you know whether they could afford that kind of wage salary now is a different matter altogether um, it, it's a tough one. He had such an awful season last season that you wonder, you know, is that it now? You know, has he peaked? Has he? Have we seen the best years of him? And he's never going to be anything like that commanding figure that he proved for Wales and for Swansea for you know, so three or four years. Um, I think a lot of Blues fans would like to see him moved on, but easier said than done. Mm. You don't often get what you want in the transfer market. Sometimes you have to just, uh, you know, so sort of see what happens. And, it may well be a case of waiting until, you know, quite close until the transfer window is, you know, close to closing before teams start panicking and, you know, sort of looking around left, right and centre before, you know, maybe offers come in for him. Mm. He's not been seen in a blue shirt since getting sent off against Burnley. Do you think he's got a future? It's a strange one because I, I think that his first season, I thought he was probably one of our one of our better players. He's steady. Steady yeah. and solid, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and I thought that in that first season under Koeman where, you know, we really... Dip, didn't we around the, the autumn winter period and then we came back strong in the second half of the season I thought as you said he kind of followed that pattern you know and, and he looked he started to look like he'd he became that player like he was at Swansea or you know something near that um, towards towards the second half of the season but yeah I've never seen a player have such a a nosedive of, of a season yeah. like that before. It's, it's almost like you think his, his pace just suddenly went, didn't yeah. it? And he was dropping yeah. deeper and deeper yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, the home defeat by Burnley, the TV analysts were pointing out he was defending on the edge of his own six-yard box, which is what led to the Burnley goal. And you're never going to recapture that. So you either need to try and change the way the team plays to suit him. And best of in the world, I can't see Marco Silva building his team around him. So, you know, the, the alternative is to cut your losses and, you know, so try and bring in somebody younger and, and mm. fresher it was just really interesting for me because I think throughout probably one of our best periods of defensive stability last season I think Ashley Williams was and Mason Hall guys a, yeah, well yeah. he was a major yeah. part of it wasn't he he, yeah. was, he was 
he was the experienced man at the back, leading mm. a young centre back, a young right back, and a right back playing at left back. Like he was, he was the organisational force in that team, and I feel like after that got rejigged a bit. I think that just knocked them all out of whack, and yeah. I think that Burnley game summed them up com- completely, as you said, like defending on the edge of his own box, getting an absolutely daft red card. I don't think it was any surprise at the end of the day that we didn't. We didn't see them for the No, rest of the it, was, it was a traumatic season for an awful lot of people. And we've got to bear in mind as well that he suffered quite a serious injury uh, on Wales duty at the end mm. of May. Uh, didn't just break, was it multiple breaks to his ribs? He suffered a, a punctured lung, lung yeah. as well. So, you know, he's going to take some time getting back to full fitness and, you know, get well soon, actually. But uh, I, I don't know. I think we've, we've probably seen the best of him in an Everton shirt. Mm. And I don't think we'll be seeing him that often next season. Mm. And while we're on the subject of possible departures, uh, obviously we've got Wayne Rooney who seems to be edging nearer to a move to the MLS. Do you think this is a good move for him, Sam? Um, I think it's just a move that has to happen, really, isn't it? I think as Dave, I think the perfect way Dave put it then is that it was just a tra- not just a traumatic season for everyone watching in the stands. I think you're seeing a lot of players on the pitch sometimes. I think you could almost see it in their body language. You just think, you know, this wasn't how it's meant to be and this wasn't what they expected from that season overall. But... I think the game that stood out for me was that Manchester City game towards the end of the season where we picked up a, a decent little bit of form and it was kind of like, you know, we could actually have a go at, at a big team here and, and try and beat Manchester City. And, you know, those, those those City midfielders just walked past Rooney. There was no there was no contest really, was there? I mean, he's always going to be a brilliant footballer and a, and a natural footballer, but he, he, he can't play central midfield in the Premier League. Not when you look at the way teams like Manchester City and, and Tottenham are... Are operating and the, and the ways they'll they'll pressure and harass you in the midfield because he's not going to be able to get up and down in in the way Everton wants. So it's sad that the second time didn't didn't work out. But I suppose you've just got to take the kind of you know the the West Ham hat trick and and a few other memories that you can take from the season and and know that Wayne will probably retain as a as a coach or mm. in some capacity one day. So sad is the word that sums it up perfectly because. Uh, I was writing a comment piece earlier, which is like, you know, ready to go if and when it's actually, you know, finalised. And his best moments as an Everton footballer all came when he was 16, 17 and 18. You know, when he was this absolute incredible force of nature, capable of beating teams on his own, uh, capable of scoring goals against the very best on his own. And he did become that good a footballer, but unfortunately did it all down the East Langs Road at Manchester United. And I was never entirely convinced it was the right reasons for him coming back from Everton's point of view. It made sense for him, you know, because he's got such an emotional attachment with the club. But he just thought Everton had moved beyond that then. You know, they were looking at, you know, players that could take the club forward. And I just don't think he ever did. I mean, all right, you know, 11 goals in a season back. You know, it was a, yeah, it was a reasonable return, but in an awful season, dreadful season. And I just thought that if you're going to stick, you know, with Wayne Rooney and he was going to be part of the club going forward, he's got to have played as a number 10. Uh, that goal he scored against Arsenal was vintage Rooney last season in the 5-2 defeat. You can't play central midfield. He was fr- you know, used on the, the wide side of uh, midfield a couple of times as well. Uh, if he's going to get... If we're going to see anything like, you know, his old flashes of brilliance, it'll be as a number 10. But unfortunately, Gilfie Sigurdsson plays his best football there as well. And I think he's the immediate future Gilfie Sigurdsson rather than Wayne Rooney. So I think, as Sam mentioned, I think it is a move that probably has to happen and probably will happen. Yeah. Second season in a row, though, they're having a losing their top scorer, have to replace their top scorer. Do Which you think the replacement's already there, though? Um, Cheng on that man. It's an interesting one, that I... I like him as a finisher, but I'm not quite sure what else he brings to the team. You know, he, he doesn't 
nip play he's together grafted, that well. He's, he, he, yeah, I mean, I would just, I suppose we've been spoiled and we've had this argument on Twitter over the last couple of weeks with Lukaku. And I don't want to open that can of worms because like, there's, there's, so, there's so many fans that were glad to see him go, which I just don't see. You know, the, one of the best centre forwards I've seen at Everton, you know, since, since the glory days, really. You know, so certainly in the Premier League era. Just a great, great centre forward, you know, pace, power, ability to finish. You know, top scorer four seasons running with close on 20 odd goals, more than 20 goals last season. You know, so you're looking to replicate that. And I don't think Cheng Tosin, he's not quite the same type of player, but I don't think he's anywhere near in his uh, quality. Um, he's okay, he's a good finisher. I'd like to think that we've got, we, we'd be looking to bring in better than that, though. Maybe that's been a little bit harsh on him. Uh, and you have got to play to his strengths therefore you've got to get good quality from the wide areas into the box for him to take advantage of and you know he proved he will, he will score goals for you um, he's a player that should have been there at the start of the season not just as an emergency in January but you know I would like to think I'd like to see more I mean Tosin's certainly part of the squad but I certainly want to see other you know strikers brought in mm. you know to augment him rather than you know so just you know be playing around him mm. What do you reckon Sam given a bit of quality service do you reckon Cenk Tosin can be that 20 goal a season man? I think twenty goals a season would be a little bit too much, as Dave as Dave said. You know, we were lucky really, and again, as, as Dave mentioned, there was there was people who, who sat round us and in the stands and that that you know got frustrated by Lukaku. But even when Lukaku weren't playing well, there was always a defender keeping an eye on them, maybe not concentrating because you you're wondering where Lukaku is and what 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 he's up to. And you know, I think we all remember like that goal against Chelsea or where he just knock it down the line past someone and think. You know, you've you've got to have a striker in this day and age. You can do it all, really, can't? Don't you? And I, don't, I don't think Tosin maybe battling and holding it up, and as good a finisher as he certainly proved himself to be last season. I don't think, as Dave said, can you can you just go into a season with him, Calvert Lewin and the Assey? Because I don't think any of them are the, the complete package. Well, there's not much pace there, is there? I mean, Calvert Lewin's not slow by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, Lukaku did push defenses back, and he could you know turn defenders. He could get you know. Get them on their heels, and you know, like you mentioned, those little runs down the channels that were so dangerous, and none of the existing uh, attackers can do that really. So it does need, you know, somebody a little bit different, somebody with you know pace as well as strength uh, to do that. But you know, it's early days yet. But you know, I'm sure uh, Marcel Brands and Co are scouring Europe looking for players like that. Exactly, the scouting, scouting system it will be in full effect, and that will obviously include the World Cup, which is going on in Russia right now. Uh, there's been a few interesting players who've been linked with Everton so far at the World Cup. Uh, has there been anyone in particular that's impressed you, lads? No, having Lozano is probably the ob- the obvious option here, really, isn't he? He's the one that I've yeah he stood out and you know he's been linked with Everton for obvious reasons. You know, given his uh, his Dutch background and the fact that Marcel Brands actually brought him to Europe, uh, and I've not seen anything there to suggest that you know you couldn't do a job at Everton and, and look quite bright. Beyond that. Um, it, it, like I said, strikers that you know you really want to see you know brought into Everton, and it's just been the obvious names that have like stood out you know at the World Cup so far. That Ronaldo um, looks all right, doesn't he? He's got some promise. Yeah, <laughs> there's, a cert, there's a certain English centre forward, Mr. Kane, who looks half decent as well. Um, but no, I mean, there's no real surprise packages. You know, some of the Russian players look okay, but you know they're playing a World Cup in their host nation with you know the roar of the crowd behind them. You know, you'd imagine they would get the uh, the lift from that. 
Um, I can't say there's anybody left field that, you know, has jumped out at me and I thought, wow, yeah, I'd like to see Everton interested in him. William Cavallio is a player that's, you know, has been linked with Everton again because he's worked with Marco Silva before and he's looked okay, he's looked steady, but I've not seen anything, you know, particularly out of the ordinary that suggests, you know, he's going to be an upgrade on, you know, Morgan Schneidlin, for example. I think for me, like watching Carvalho a couple of times uh, through Portugal's run so far, I just think he looks a bit too slow and laboured in that midfield and he's playing some pretty slow-paced games. Yeah. I, I just don't know yeah, how he was... smaller for Laney. <laughs> well, I see him. I, I think, you know, the, the obvious one for me that stood out and everyone, I think everyone, every Evertonian's spoken enough about him the last week. Ruben Loftus-Cheek looked yeah. really good for England, but I think that the risk, isn't it, and, and the lesson we learnt in 2014 when we signed Mohamed Bessic is that don't, don't put all your eggs into the World Cup basket because you can sign someone who looks really good at the tournament and I think we were all, we all thought we'd signed a really dynamic midfielder who was going to be the future of, of that central area in Bessage and it hasn't quite worked out that way so uh, I can't see Everton scouts basing performances on three, four, five, six World Cup games apart from you know the bigger names we've mentioned like maybe your Carvalho, maybe a couple of other sporting lads like Gelson Martins, Ruben Loftus-Chi uh, and that sort of player but apart from that I'd be very surprised to see Everton make a move for someone just because of the World Cup. Well, I mean, I have to say, one player who's particularly intrigued me is someone who was linked with Everton a couple of seasons ago, I think. Uh, I, might, I might absolutely butcher <laughs> the pronunciation <laughs> of his surname here. Yeah. Hakim Zayek, I, be- I believe it is. Uh, the Mar- Moroccan winger, plays for Ajax. So, surely Marcel Brands will have a decent knowledge of him. Uh, I saw him absolutely dominate the, at, at least the second half against Portugal. don't know how Morocco didn't come out with at least a point out of that one. And, he, again yesterday against Spain I thought he was absolutely incredible throughout throughout that game yeah well these are players that they, the coaching staff will be aware of even before the World Cup I mean we're sat there in the rare luxury of seeing international games every single day and you, you know you can enjoy them and spot players that might not have crossed your radar previously whereas you know they will you would hope be absolutely aware of you know sort of every nuance of these players games and of course there's a couple of major nations not there you know Holland, Italy so you know the, the players you know could be internationals, full internationals that are already on the radar. I just, I'm not getting concerned. I'm not getting, you know, agitated at the fact that there's been no signings yet, but I'd like to see a little bit of movement, a little bit of something yeah. just to uh, just to lift spirits a little you, before. You just need to, something to get excited about. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, just a new face that you can start scouring on YouTube and, you know, looking yeah. for all his, uh, all his clips put together. I you mean, know. alongside the obvious excitement of the World Cup, I have to say, this. I think this World Cup's been one of the most exciting I can remember. I know I'm, I know I'm only young. But like, well, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I go back all the way to 1974, <laughs> which is the first one I saw. And uh, I saw something on Twitter the other day, actually, somebody tweeting that, what was the phrase? This is not a popular view now, but it will be in a few days. This is the worst World Cup I've seen. And <laughs> what, I, I, just, I just like started laughing. It was, it was obviously that too cool for school vibe, you know, yeah. whereby the quality of matches being so poor, you know, these are like, you know, ridiculously open-ended games. The guy's talking utter gibberish. My, you know, opinion, you know, I'm entitled to, he's entitled to his. Mm. It's been a great World Cup, I've really enjoyed it. It's been wide open, there's been very entertaining games, there's been already one classic fixture, uh, the Portugal-Spain game. Mm. it's very, very... Have we seen a goalless draw yet? If we have, there been very few. No, we haven't. Um, Still no nil-nil. You know, that just says it all because, you know, routinely, normally the opening game in every group match is always very, very tight and dour because teams don't want to lose. Mm. That's not been the case. 
Um, I've enjoyed it thoroughly so far. It's just a shame now that when it comes to the final game of the group stages, you can't watch both games. You, know, you have to try and watch one while keeping half an eye on the other. Uh, now it's been thoroughly enjoyable. And if we can get a couple of like you know classic knockout ties, you know, there's every chance it could go down as one of the classic tournaments. Early days yet, but mm. no, it's been very, very promising so far. I have to say, there's been one aspect that's been adding a lot of enjoyment for some and detracting <laughs> a lot of <laughs> enjoyment for others. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah. Something that was brought into England last year, VAR, the big topic. Sam, are you for or against VAR? Uh, to be honest, I, I, I just can't get my head around when it when it comes in, when it when it doesn't, and, and and I think that until it's kind of properly defined, and you know everyone agrees that the you know in cricket and tennis and stuff, it's the it's the final voice, isn't it? You know what the the, the Hawkeye and stuff like that. What it shows is is definitely the right decision all the time. Whereas in football, you know, it's it's showing the decision and, and somehow they're still getting it wrong. So I, I haven't enjoyed the VAR too much, no. Yeah, I think the difference for me is that it, it seems to be put on the same sort of pedestal as goal line technology for some reason. And I think goal line technology is by far and away better because you get a definitive answer every time. You can't yeah. you can't question what what that the result that gives you. But VAR, it's still down to a referee's opinion. And referees are still getting it wrong, and yeah. I think that that's where the the main issues lie for a lot of people. I think it, it's a system that could be very useful if it's employed correctly, and it currently isn't being used correctly. I mean, it's supposed to be introduced for a clear and obvious error, and very often, a number of occasions at this World Cup, they're not clear and obvious errors it's being called into use for. You know, it's very much grey areas. I mean, that Iran-Portugal penalty yesterday was just laughable. Mm. Mark Clattenberg, who I know is a guy we don't hold much credibility for in these parts, <laughs> whose, views, whose views don't you know, tend to count for very much. But he did call it right this morning when he said that once a referee has agreed to go and consult a, a VAR review, chances are, 99.9% of the time, he will, uh, you know, change his decision because he's been called over been asked to give a view and if he then sticks to his gun says no 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 I was right all along he runs the risk of looking pompous and you know ignoring the evidence I think that's what's happened in the Iran Portugal incident where he's convinced something must have happened because they've caused made such a fuss he's gone over to look at it and no way on God's earth is that a penalty you know but you know there's been the, you know, the faintest of brushes against his arm which was completely you know unwitting and yet he's given a penalty so uh, I think referees have got to be a little bit stronger in this respect and you know when the calls for VAR are made and then he gets the little you know voice in his ear saying you might want to look at that again got to maybe be a little bit stronger and just you know make a definitive decision there and then it still could be a decent technique but I just think it's being used wrong at the moment mm. The counter arguments, yeah, you, you think, look at some of the big, big decisions that, you know, have uh, changed World Cup matches in the past. Uh, you know, the, the Battiston, you know, Schumacher challenge that was absolutely brutally should have been in a cause of law for that challenge. Mm. Um, you know, absolutely got away scot-free. You know, nowadays, you know, that, that would be punished and quite rightly so. I know it's different to goal line technology, but, you know, Frank Lampard's goal against Germany. But then again, I suppose we'd never run the World Cup, would we? Because Jeff Hurst never crossed the line. But, you know, so, <laughs> uh, you, know you can go back, you know, so, so, so far. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's got to be for clear and obvious errors, or you know, clear and obvious you know sort of possibilities, and that's that's not happening at the moment. Uh, still, a lot of our work to be done because it is very frustrating sometimes, and it is slowing up the uh, the flow of games. Start of the tournament, they were beginning to make the decisions quite quickly, and mm. you think, oh yeah, it could work this. But the last couple of occasions we've seen it used, it has dragged on a little bit, and it is becoming very frustrating. I think I retweeted someone a bit earlier this morning saying that maybe we should be looking at some sort of similar system to hockey or tennis or cricket where 
a team has a certain amount of reviews that they can make. If they get it right, then they can keep the review. Yeah. If they get it wrong, they lose it. And I think that maybe takes away some of these players who are, you know, trying to making frivolous calls. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the Neymar one springs to mind against Costa Rica. Yeah. You know, where he just hit the deck. You know, it stops stuff like that happening, surely, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it was Sam Craig that made that point. I mean, she's obviously an Olympic gold medalist and she's like being used to, you know, this VAR system being used in hockey. But she made that exact point that, you know, if you make a, a call for it and you get it right, you've still got that call, you can use it later on. But if you make that call and it's being frivolous and the referee doesn't uphold it, you've lost it then for the rest of the game. And so it would, I think that that's worth looking at, certainly. Okay, lads, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you for joining me again and stick with us for on the Liverpool Echo for all the latest Everton news. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.